of Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about social interaction in D&D and Pathfinder. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. Well, it's actually pretty simple, because on this podcast we like to talk about games. Uh, this is your this is your idea. This is your pitch. So so lay, lay it out for me. Yeah. What, what, how, how do you want to how do you want to approach social systems? Okay. Yeah. So so I kind of want to start out at the top because like this this is uh, an idea that came to me just kind of in a, in a flash one night maybe a week ago, uh, maybe a little bit more. But uh, basically, five um, e as kind of its core design principle um, decided that it wanted uh, its three pillars for the game to be combat exploration and social interaction right. and um i feel that both pathfinder and, and 5e fall short on that social interaction i think 5e does things a little bit better i'll get into that a little later um but uh as i was thinking about this i was kind of thinking to myself so, so part kind of why is this and this is kind of um it's kind of from like the like like working backwards to what i want right um i kind of want this this system to work in such a way that, um, you know, uh, when you've got a party of adventurers, right. That if the person you're talking to is say like the gruff guardsman that you want, maybe your fighter to be the person talking to that person, regardless of kind of, uh, you, you know, uh, the social skills. And, and it kind of worked backwards from that problem as, as to what kind of creates this problem. And I think there's, um, Two main problems here. Uh, one is is I'm going to call it the skill problem, and the other one's going to call, what I'm going to call the face problem. Uh, I think the face problem is a little bit more dire. But I, I have mean, a feeling that I have a feeling that you and I are going to think I was I similarly group. Well, I'm not sure that we'll necessarily agree, but I also have two problems. They are the skills and the face of the party idea. But I'm interested to see what your take is. Yeah. how well it matches. So so the first part of this is that. Um, at least the Pathfinder, and uh, less less true in, in 5e, but, but similarly true in, in 5e, is that um, a point in diplomacy, a point in bluff, is like equivalent to a point in, say, you know, uh, sleight of hand, or a point in climb, right? Um, and so, kind of by that math, the game wants you to believe, by those mechanics, that... Um, the ability to climb by a point is just as valuable as the ability to like to socially interact by a point. Okay. Um, and it's spread across three skills, sure, but like as kind of a rule, skills it's are spread, it's spread across more skills than that. I think, technically speaking, I, like I, I think sense motive and you know perception, right? You know knowledge, skills, and stuff like that. So, but so, I, I get, I get your meaning. I'm just saying. So, so I actually see th this is the part of the problem is, you know, I think kind of as written. It's spread across those three skills, and then sense motive kind of has a secondary application in there. But the other skills you're mentioning are patches that people bring in in order to fill it out better because the system fails so hard on on its face on the way it's on the way it's built. Um, Interesting. Uh, well, you know, because I I do want to you know obviously I have my own thoughts about this. We did an episode, uh, or I don't know that we've actually done an episode on my diplomacy changes, but. Um, uh, you know, like, I, I also agree with you that I don't think the Pathfinder system is great, but I do think that there is at least a certain... Really what I'm getting at is, like, there's these three core skills and then sense motive, which I would kind of say is, like... I, I You know, to a certain extent, I think sense motive is kind of, like, a fourth core social skill. And then a certain percentage of... 
a couple of other skills, you know, like are are used in social scenarios and therefore kind of like that that adds up. There's, I don't know, I, I do think that there is a little bit more to it than just those sure. Three. No, and and, and, and and I I see what you're saying, um, but uh, essentially. Like those are all secondary, and I, I think even sense motive acts kind of secondary, um, at least by raw, um, okay. and uh, the problem there is that um, skills are not as core as uh, say uh, as a social interaction is supposed to be, right? Especially not in the way it's concentrated. And so I think trying to build a a, a really core tenet of the system on top of something that's kind of relatively like. Wavy, especially because skill points for some characters are, are like nothing. Um, for some characters, they're like super, like you know, they have many less to work with. Like, like say your base fighter. Um, I just think it doesn't play well into what's supposed to be kind of a core experience of the game. Okay. Um, and I think layered on top of this, and I think this is this is actually the the, the bigger problem in a lot of ways. And I'm gonna, and it's it's the face problem, right? Whereby which. Um, the person that you want to do all of your social interaction is the one person with the single highest score. Um, and, you know, there's a little bit of a variation there, right? Like, if you've got two high, high characters and one's, like, one point less than somebody else, it's not the end of the world. Um, but kind of at the end of the day, the, the, the way that specialization works in this game is you kind of... Um, in, the system kind of encourages one person to be the best at talking to people, and that kind of funnels off social interaction to be the domain of one person, and that's um, not conducive to social interaction being a really core tenet of the game, a core right. pillar, as the 5e people would put it. Um, and I think that um, we can come up with a better system for encompassing that mechanically. Um and and that's kind of what I wanted to do here is is I had some ideas. Um, I want I want to hear obviously your take on on the face problem and see if we can't come uh, come up with at least some ideas to kind of push this in the right direction. Yeah, I absolutely agree with the face problem. I think that the face problem is something that is is paralyzing. Um, mostly, I I think I don't know five E specifically, and I would imagine that if you ask somebody about Pathfinder, like whether or not social interaction is one of the pillars of the game. Right, like you would probably not get an affirmative answer, right? I think, for instance, kind of like puzzle solving, you know what I mean? Like, which would be like a more of like an exploration element and stuff like that. You know, like this stuff is like higher tier, um, you know, co like combat being kind of like top dog, we can all agree on. Yeah. But like, even the, my point is, even like the secondary stuff that we think of as being right, like that we think of as uh, as comprising the game experience, like solving puzzles and shit like that. Um, even that stuff, I feel like, has a higher place than social interaction in a lot of Pathfinder scenarios. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and so I think that and, and so I think that the game naturally wants you to have a face, right? Um, in the same way that you want, you know, in the instance that you need to, you know, overland track someone, you want someone to have the survival skill. Um, you want someone to have, you know, some of the face skills so that you can, you know, get through. And like a diplo like a diplomatic encounter, but it's not something that the whole party has been to interface with, right? Like in the same way that if you have one guy um, who does, um, you know, tracking, who has survival and does tracking, right? Like you you live and die by this guy, you live and die by by the face of your party. Um, I think the big problem uh, in in a lot of cases is because the game treats 
the characters in a party as a unit sometimes and as an individual other times. Uh, so, for instance, the skill of acrobatics or climb or swim uh, are much more valuable individually. The, actually, the best example of here is perception, right? Right. It is always good for everyone to take perception because it means you're getting more chances to nail a perception DC, right? Like, that's not... Even though that has benefits to the party, uh, like, as a whole, right? Um, you, because you get to, like, do checks individually, right? Like, perception is just, like, kind of, like, over-efficient, um, or overly efficient compared to kind of like other skills, right? Um, something like swim or climb, right? Like if you have acrobatics and I have acrobatics, you can't you can't succeed an acrobatics check by my acrobatics check, right? Like, do you know what I mean? But the thing is, yeah. is that because the diplomacy kind of you know like most diplomatic encounters treat the whole party as one unit, one person can succeed on behalf of the whole party, and therefore it is the most efficient kind of like way to align yourself and use the limited resources that are skill points just like on a mechanics level uh to to invest that all in one person yeah and, and i i think this is kind of kind of what you said is, is getting what i'm talking about with kind of this is you know the skill point problem um and i think this this face problem um is that like because the game is mechanically designed like that but social interaction is kind of um like a, a, an important part of the role-playing experience outside of the system, right? Like, role-playing games in general, a big part of it is is the role-playing, and that naturally kind of f f uh, feeds itself into the social aspects. Um, and I think the, the, the problem comes along when you have members of your party that, um, you know, naturally maybe want to go and do the social interaction, but they feel like, and they probably should mechanically, defer to the face right. um when you, you 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 know kind of like i said the, the the classic example that comes up in my mind is is your face is like a a fast talking uh like bard type right that maybe he's good at swimming nobles mm -hmm. but like you've got like the uh kind of like the old angry vet in the tavern and you probably want your fighter to do that conversation but as the mechanics are set up now your fast talking bard is still the person that you actually want talking to them in order to um kind of uh, in, in order to, to maximize your chance of success. It's also got another layer of problem kind of on top of that, which is that, like, okay, so there's not just one skill. There's a couple of them, right? So, like, maybe you yeah. have your Trixie Rogue who has bluff. You know, you have your noble cleric that has uh, diplomacy, and then you have your fighter that has intimidate, right? Well, so if you need to go talk to that, like, veteran in the bar, it makes sense to send your fighter, but the check that you want to use might be diplomacy or bluff, and so you end up walking into that situation, like, as as the fighter, right, and trying to force a way that you can use the skill that you have more ranks in, right, which is, like, the worst kind of, like, Frankenstein's monster that you can create out of a social interaction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm 100% uh, with you on that. Um, and just to, to give a, a comment quickly on uh, a couple things that I think 5e does to kind of mitigate this problem. I don't think it solves the problem by any means. But um, uh, the first thing is, is, is this is just kind of a semantics thing. But instead of um, diplomacy and bluff, they call it persuade and deception. And I think that's um, like, uh, you know, uh, on, uh, uh, on fit on, you know, in reality, it doesn't make that much of a difference, but I think it does kind of, um, uh, 
speak to what the skills actually are, right? Like, um, you know, kind of being like a sleazy car salesman um, is in a lot of ways a persuasion check, and that should go under diplomacy, but it kind of feels thematically more like a bluff, so I think there's some confusion there, so I think the names are better in um, in in 5e, but that, like the, that's a minor thing. The bigger thing, I think, is that um, because the, the, the numbers don't get as high and they're a little bit flatter, you have less consequence for going with an off, uh, you know, an off, uh, an off face pick, right? Um, uh, the, it, every level it's, uh, you, your, it's your proficiency bonus and that doesn't go up every level. Um, like your ranks do in for skills and pathfinder. Um, and then your, your, uh, skill bonus is capped at plus five and you usually, or your ability bonus rather is capped at plus five and you usually don't get there immediately. Um, and so like, at the beginning of the game, your social skills might be at a plus four or a plus five, which is much less devastating than um, in Pathfinder, where it very quickly gets to like, uh, like it's, it starts at like plus seven often and just gets quickly higher from there. Um, and so I, I think that does something to mitigate it, but uh, I, I don't think it, it solves the problem at all. In fact, in the game I'm playing, I'm basically the face for my party, and we kind of run into this problem where like, you know, you know, sometimes the players want to talk, you know, want to be the person to talk to the, the guy that makes more sense or like, you know, like they'll go and do it and they'll like, and the GM will be like, Oh, well, roll a persuasion. They're like, ah, Mason, yeah, come over yeah. here. It's, I you know, know like, I know exactly that feeling. Yeah. Um, and so th that's the kind of thing I want to kind of, um, maybe try and, and, and brainstorm. So th this cast is, is a little bit less of, of a hard solution because I don't have one yet and more of kind of a, a brainstorming session and, and the hope is at least for me is maybe in, in a little while we, we can turn this into a system and have a later episode on it on, on some more details um but first uh i think for, first things um well i want to i want to go over a very simple solution that i thought up of that i don't think is very good but i think works in kind of a pinch and then i want to talk about the system that you developed for hell's rebels because i think it's a step in the right direction okay um so the, the the idea that I came up with that's actually kind of funny because uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I actually did. I, I've kind of abandoned that system a little bit because I have some kind of like late showing problems with it. I, I so I, I get that, but I I, I do th I think so. I think there's a couple of things about that game. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, get, we'll, we'll 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 get to that. Yeah. Um. So before we start, actually, I was I I do want to kind of um top down this a bit i got into a twitter conversation with a uh with a game designer at uh, uh league of legends who i just happened to follow and it was the middle of the night and he was like hey let's do a q a or whatever and in this q a we ended up talking about like a one tweet or two i can't even remember um about or maybe he was tweeting somebody else i can't uh, about about like designing game systems and and he was talking about how you want to avoid bloat and so part of the way that you do that is you be really explicit about like the game design goal that you're trying to to accomplish um with like with every system you make right uh so from that perspective what would you say your goal is in but like what like what is the what 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 is the goal that your system is trying to accomplish okay so i, I actually i actually have a couple of um ideas here that i that i wrote down I, I, um uh so um one goal is i want the whole party to be involved in this um and the other big goal basically the the, the thing the, the fantasy i want to play to is this idea where you you want 
to match your um, the person who who does the social interaction is the one who's best thematically matched rather than just the the the, the face, right? Um, and you know, I, I think there's some nuances there, right? Like I think that like in the absence of a good match, that there should that there there's room for a character to excel at it um, individually. Um, and you know, th this can get very bloody. This is why I've kind of like thinking about like trying to implement this in steps and like in layers so that you can layer on as much complexity as you want, depending on your game. But like, um, at, at its very core, the thing I want is that, you know, when you see the gruff veteran sitting in the tavern, you send your, you know, your, your gruff fighter to go talk to him instead of your face, um, or instead of your default face. And when you see the noble, you send your kind of smarmy sweet talker to talk to him. And when you see like the, the, uh, you know, the head of the thieves yield, you send your thief to talk to him. Um, if, if that makes sense. Uh, I know it's not super concise, but that, that's kind of my, my, my goal. Okay. So, uh, where, like, where, so, so where did you want to start? Like what's, what's the baseline okay. that you were looking for? Okay. So like the, the, the very simplest solution I came up with, came up with for this is kind of like an extreme, extreme version of the, um, of, of kind of the, the, the 5e flattening, which is you uh, get rid of the social interaction aspects of intimidate, bluff, and diplomacy. You keep them around for, like, their secondary features, right? Gather information, pass secret information, right. uh, faint, and whatnot. Um, but you take those away from the social interactions, and you only let charisma um, kind of affect those dice rolls. But I also... So... Um, I think just kind of the reason I think that this is an okay idea is that it makes the charismatic characters a little bit better, but not so much better. Problems, obviously, the die roll is going to dominate heavily, which is something I'm not a huge fan of, or, you know, it's, uh, I'm not as much of a fan of. Um, and also, I think that's it's, it's kind of like a very cheap way to get to it um, that, that, that kind of doesn't um, kind of give a lot of reward for gauging with, 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 with the system, if, if that makes sense. But I think it could work in a pinch, especially it's like a minimalistic way to get around this problem. It's definitely the simplest. Um, what do what do you think of, of that solution? Um, I, so I was kind of like chambering this round for a little bit later. That's a weird metaphor. Um, but so I actually think that there is one step below this, okay. which is kind of just that you just wing everything. The, kind of that the best social interaction system is no social interaction system. Okay. In a weird way, this is kind of, and you know, like I, like, I feel like I'm jumping the gun a little bit because, like, I want to talk about how I arrived a little bit at this conclusion. Um, uh, given, you know, like, given the context of Hell's Rebels. But in a weird way, I do think that this is how Hell's Rebels functions in a lot of ways. Um, and I like the way that that functions. Um, I think, so it's, so it's a little bit less that, you know, diplomacy and bluff and intimidate have been removed so much so that like when there's a focus on a diplomatic, uh, or like a social interaction, it's just not focused around any of those skills or any of that other stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's always focused about the give and take of the deal that you guys are making, right? Um, which is kind of why diplomacy challenges have fallen off. Like I, I, I had, I specifically had diplomacy challenges in book three, and I wrote them out because um, we had done, we had had really good interactions, and I was just kind of, I just kind of trusted that you guys would be good um, uh, at at working with it, and to and like 
and to the cre to the credit of that idea, I think that's true, right? Like, I think that um, the uh, you know stuff like negotiating with um, Elector Fortinax that took place about you know the teleporter, right? Like that stuff was really good and and kind of like in depth and everything like that. It's not perfect. Uh, one of the, for instance, it kind of fails the design goal um, of like quote unquote involving the whole party. Um, just because we always tend to end up in a situation where one or two people dominates the conversation. Um, and because the system is systemless, there's no way to kind of force everyone to come in and interact in a way that like the old diplomacy challenge system had or whatever the case may be. Uh, but uh, I, I feel like insofar as we're, we are talking about the most minimal social interaction system, there's a, there's something to be said for just kind of getting rid of all of the ever like getting rid of everything else and trying to get as as you know as deep into the like the nitty-gritty um as possible yeah so I, I i absolutely feel that and i was thinking about something along those lines too but there, there's i think a catch there that i that I, i'd want to avoid which is um i think you do like as much as you can just like let a regular conversation flow like an in-character conversation flow i think that's the superior way to do it but I think the catch there is that I, I think you want to allow for players who aren't necessarily as gifted at that skill set, you know, as, as players, not as characters, right? Right, right. To be able Someone to... Someone who is shy, for instance. Yeah. You want that person to be able, as a as a character, to be able to effectively, you know, to say, like, I am very convincing and, and just say that and then roll a die and see how convincing they are. Um to kind of allow them to live that fantasy without having to be good at it themselves. Interesting. See, I have a very hard time going uh, a lot. Like, you know, I mean, th this is a typical thing that GMs do, which is not by the book. Uh, but it's like when when you approach someone, right, like, and you want to make a diplomacy roll, you can't just come up and say, I bluff them, or I, you know, I, I persuade them and then roll the check. Um, like, you need them to make, like, kind of an argument, and then the check is kind of... Um, you know, how well your character articulates that argument. Um, and I think even that is kind of like a, uh, is kind of like a speed bump for these kinds of people. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, like, you know, I, I think, I think you can expect some sort of minimal argumentation, right? Like, you know, like a ba basic ideas or whatever, right? Like you can't, you, you know, you can't just say like, I go up to the king and I convince him, well, convince him of what, right? Like you at least have to have some sort of kind of thesis of the idea that you're going for. But I think there is something to be said for allowing a player who um, is not by themselves particularly charismatic or, or you know, well, well, you know, not great at arguing or, or whatever, however you want to express it, um, to allow the fantasy of their character to ride on that without, um, without relying on the on the player to have to do that. Um, that that's that's the, uh, the 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 biggest weakness with that system. I think. I think with the right set of players, um, I think a lot of that works well, can work well. Definitely. Um, it's, um, not, it's, it's not something that I think you could do um, with, uh, with players who weren't kind of opting into it. In, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, they're, they're, it, it, it puts a lot of faith, in a way, um, in the interactions between the GM and the players, that the GM is going to be fair with you, you know, like that the players aren't going to kind of like fuck around um, and shit like that. And so I think that, you know, if anything dooms this ultra minimalist take, it is kind of like you, I can't walk into Pathfinder Society 
right uh and have an interaction like that with a gm because i don't know him. you know what i mean like and, and if you're not invested in the characters or in the system or in the or in the campaign or any of that kind of stuff right like all all of these things uh fall apart which means you have to have a massive and solid foundation in order to kind of move forward from that um but i think in but i think in a lot of ways right like if you have that foundation uh you kind of don't need uh, you don't need to worry about systemizing it, right? Like, trust your players, make sure your players trust you, and you'll be okay. It's just, like, the, those circumstances are rarer um, than we would otherwise design for. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think there's something to be said, too, for, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying Hell's Rebels, but, like, kind of maybe an opportunity for, say, Beauregard to roll a diplomacy check to kind of get better deals out of the people he's negotiating with. I'm, yeah, I'm... and so I actually think that that's very true, and that's something that's also important. Um, on Like, so, I wouldn't... I don't I don't actually like the idea of eliminating diplomacy, bluff, and intimidate from, from like, all social interactions. It's just kind of, like, the important ones, right? Like, if you design an encounter to be a social in encounter, hypothetically speaking, right? Like, here's a big goal, and we need to convince someone to do it in order to kind of, like, get across the finish line. I think that's the, the appropriate place for this. Um, but even, like, little things like, um, you know, you meet the bad guy, or you, you take the bad guy prisoner, uh, and you're interrogating him, right? Like, anything less than that kind of um, uh, you know, set piece social inter encounter. I think still, but you you can you can get away with using regular diplomacy bluff intimidate, right? Like if you're interviewing people um, outside, you know what I mean, like outside of uh, of the king's castle to try and get an understanding of who the king is. I think it's absolutely appropriate to to use those uh, to use those skills in like low level, low stakes kind of encounters like that. Huh. Yeah. No. I. 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 Hmm. I. I feel you. Let, let me just kind of like like vomit what what I'm thinking out in, into the. It, so, um, I, I think it is appropriate for the guy who's kind of like you know I, I I think in any system you still want a guy to be able to see like I I want to be kind of focused on being better at these social things and to reward that player for that investment. So right. I think right. kind of like. Yeah. I, I. I. Okay. I see what you're saying, and I do think, and I think. You know, it's like, it's kind of weird that when you go, when the most high stakes version of this is the systems list version of it, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and so like, I, th I think like, like what you're saying, what you're saying with like, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the dude, the dude, you know, go randomly interview some random people. Um, I think a lot of that can also, can just like ride on like, like raw checks, but like, Part of me wants to, like wants to feed into the idea that like, you know, we need to go find out some information, and the soldiers, and, you know, and the fighter says, well, you know, like I was a soldier, I'm gonna go talk to the town guard and you know use le leverage that kind of, um, that, that that angle with the you know you know town guard to see if I can find out anything that way. Now by raw, that's a diplomacy check, and I think you could you know easily kind of like say like oh you could roll a profession soldier for that um but i think that the the kind of the, the pitfall there is that um the way the mechanics are, are are designed informs two players what they should try to do and so i am you know while i think that something like 
like telling them that they can roll a professional soldier in that circumstance would work. What I'm afraid is is of a player never thinking of that because they're conditioned to think that the only way you do this is with diplomacy, and thus they always send the face to do it, uh, if that makes sense. Um, and that might speak to a kind of like a, a, a broader problem with kind of like feeding, like, you know, um, this is this is something I, I, I always hear, which is like, new players are the best because they, they don't realize what they can't do yet or not, right? Like, they just like kind of ask if they can do it, and the GM kind of tells them how they would go about doing that. And the more advanced players kind of like get, get more set in kind of the, the ways that things happen. But I do think that um, uh, th that mechanics can, inf can inform to... To, to players with, with some knowledge of the system how things are supposed to go um, and then this is kind of this is kind of the the, the face problem ex expanded and, and um, it just leads to less less involvement from the player base um, do you want to talk about a, a little bit about um, about that the, the hell's rebel system and, and, and what you saw yeah, so let me let me let me so the, to lay out what this system was for most folks um it was uh it was kind of like a skill challenge from fourth edition which i like a lot but i never end up ever using them uh which essentially just says you need to attain nine skill check successes before you gain three failures right and the skills that you can use are social skills bluff intimidate diplomacy um and then you can use other skills as kind of necessary or as kind of like befits uh circumstance so like for instance if you're talking to a noble maybe you could attain a success with knowledge nobility right or if you're talking to an engineer knowledge engineering or, or you know like whatever it is right um if you uh if you succeed uh, you accrue one of your nine successes. If you fail, you accrue one of your three failures, right? Um, and every three successes you get, you get a different kind of, like, tier of, uh, like, reward, right? So, you know, you have the bottom tier, which is kind of, like, the basic minimum, and then kind of, like, a middle tier, which is, like, better than that, and then, like, a high tier, which is, like, everything. So, like, even if you do flub it and go three for three um you know or three and three kind of thing you still kind of get across the finish line and the story doesn't get put on hold right so it's a little bit less about like success or failure in a um in a binary sense and more about degrees right um what else did i put in here there's special interaction with sense motive where you could try and figure out what the other person's personality right what what how how receptive they are um they were that so the other thing is that it kind of characterized bluff diplomacy and intimidate in different ways. So, for instance, diplomacy is kind of... Uh, this is what I wrote. Diplomacy is used to argue earnestly and persuasively. Bluff is typically used to pander to the target, flatter them, or embellish the truth of the situation. And intimidate is used to argue forcefully and with passion, right? So it is less traditional in those senses um, uh, and allows for more kind of leeway for you not to be an asshole when you use intimidate for instance right um and that certain and that targets would have um uh like a preference one way or the other right if somebody's looking to be flattered the dcs for bluff will be lower than the dcs for intimidate right if you know if you're trying to browbeat right like a hard-bitten fucking like veteran commander right like it's a lot harder to do that than to just lay out the facts with a diplomacy check if that makes sense um and, uh, and then there was also circumstance bonuses, penalties, right? You know, if you make a good argument, you get a, a bonus. If you make a bad argument, um, you get a penalty. Uh, the last piece of this that's kind of important is that um, you got a penalty for repeating people in the argument. 
right? So if it's just one person dominating the conversation, um, they, uh, I think they like trigger like a one time, um, or sorry, so this is actually what it is. It's, it's a little bit different. I've changed. I changed this it underwent some iteration, and right. it was mostly to service the goal of we want someone else in the face to make, uh, to make all of the checks. Right, the first time that you speak up in a conversation, right, you have kind of a new set of attention because this is the first time you've said something, and so you get a plus four bonus on that check. Right, so it encourages people not to just spam, not to just have one person kind of spam. Uh, in order to kind of, uh, in order to get across the finish line, right? You have everybody at least chip in once just to take full advantage of the value the in inherent in that in that plus four bonus. Um, essentially, the reason that I, that, that I came away from this is that um, the diplomacy challenges, like I actually like the diplomacy challenges early on in the game, and I think that they kind of set a good baseline. But in a way, we because of that, we were able to move into a system where they weren't as necessary. Because people, they had already kind of like trained people into how these conversations were supposed to go. And so it's a little bit like what you were talking about, you know what I mean? Like the mechanics kind of like set the standard for people. So it's kind of like we, they're like training wheels, you know what I mean? Like we trained, the, the, the party trained with a couple of diplomacy challenges and then we took the training wheels off and now we're just riding the bike kind of thing. Um... I also think that it's a little bit over-designed in, in, in certain aspects. Um, mostly from a... Mostly from, like, a position of... Um, I was trying really hard to work this into the Pathfinder system that we had, which kind of ended up being just, like, a square peg in a round hole problem. Um, where we kind of, you know what I mean? Like the stuff like the, the, you know, the once the one-off bonus, you know, like there's the, a lot, there's a lot about the system that's not intuitive is really right. what I'm getting at. Um, which is a problem, I think. Um, and that like, and because diplomacy challenges were re really rare, um, I had planned on doing two per book. Uh, and I'm pretty sure we did two in books one and two and then none in book three. Um, uh, because they were so rare, we like we kind of had to re-explain the rules every time, which I think is bad. Um, so so yeah yeah those are that's I don't know that's like the over that's like the overhead. Yeah, I I, I think just to kind of like um, something else that I think helped out with Hell's Rebels in particular is um, this is totally by chance, but Beauregard's uh, quiet word. Yeah. I think kind of alleviated a lot of things because it let other player characters talk without the disadvantage of being like essentially they got to use Beauregard's ability um, as their own, which I think I think closes that gap a lot. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's something that we've seen use in uh, in book three, right? Like yeah. uh, Grug and the Kolkari, right? Obviously, um, Weirin and uh, and the Waywatchers, right? Like in a, in a lot of ways, it solves the problem. Um, of that kind of like party interaction, uh, pretty elegantly. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, and you know, the thematics work well for Beauregard, but like it, it is essentially, it essentially allows the, the kind of fantasy I'm talking about where like, you know, you set, you send your way watcher to talk to the way watcher leaders, um, because he's able to without a huge disadvantage. Um, and so I think, 
I think that this is the, the the health rebel system is a step in kind of the right direction. I think it does have some of the the flaws you're talking about, and I don't, I, and you know, I, I I don't think the kind of training wheels aspect of it solved the problem entirely. But I think that that's in some ways player based, right? Like Rakax rarely engages with these diplomatic things. Like a lot a lot of times these negotiations are Alaric and Beauregard. Yeah. Talking to whoever with occasional moral objections from Weirin and uh, and Marigrug. Um and I think that's that's fine and that works for the party, especially with the online game where if people disengage, they can go kind of do other things, as we know that some of our players do. Um, yeah, I mean, my my philosophy has always kind of been that like as long as uh, you know uh, someone's engaged in the in the conversation um then it's okay yeah and, and i i think that's okay but i don't think it's ideal if that makes sense um i i especially for an at the table game i think at the table i i think uh kind yeah, of definitely i think it's way different on world 20 versus at the table yeah um, like one of the like uh, it's it's weird to call this an advantage. One of the advantages of World Twenty is if something is zooming in on a particular player, the other players kind of have the freedom to do something a little bit different with their time and entertain themselves, um, which I think is is a weird stopgap, but it's it's something that's definitely true. Um, um, but yeah, um, in kind of that vein. Um, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to start going into territories where I've got, like, some ideas, but nothing really concrete. Um, I was thinking that uh, a couple of the couple of ideas I came up with were, one was kind of like you did, like, the preference for bluff, intimidate, um, diplomacy. Um, something kind of like uh, personalities for characters, and, like, matching personalities gives either some sort of bonus or essentially some sort of incentive that you want to send somebody with a matching personality um, to do the interaction, um, rather than the face, um, and then I had some vague ideas about, like, you know, a character that wants to focus on it could maybe get more personalities under their belt or something like that. Yeah, um, I actually, I, I had intended originally to list out, um, kind of different personalities based on, uh, what configuration of those three that you had, right? Yeah. Um... But it ended up being harder than I thought, just because like the, when you actually list out the combinations, well, what are there? There, there's like six combinations. Like putting a name to those is harder than it looks, I guess. Uh, and then yeah. I also was just kind of like nobody's gonna remember this, you know what I mean? So it's it's just not worth time. So I didn't go very far with that, but uh, I do actually I do have to say that I I, I like that idea um uh, quite a bit just because I think it's something that you could do in order to mix and match. Um, people, like you said, like this person is only receptive to this personality, and just because your fighter is the only one with that personality in the party, he's the only key for the lock sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I um, think that that would be a neat system. Yeah, and, and it, it, part of some of the nuances here would be, like, if you don't have a key for that lock, the person who's kind of your face still is, is the person who has the best chance of kind of, like, picking the lock, essentially. Um, uh, and some other kind of like I, I had some other kind of like thoughts that that were not that are not fully baked in there like you know uh you know your like so a character like Beauregard would be able to disguise himself as a character with the personality that fits the right lock because he's savvy enough to kind of 
recognize that. But there, there, there's that. That's like I said, uh, only uh, things I, I've vaguely thought about. I haven't kind of tried to systemize any of it. Um, the other kind of big pillar idea I had was, um, are you familiar with the angry passive knowledge system at all? The, no. the angry GM. Um, um, okay, so for you and for our, our listeners at home, something that the angry GM does is for any passive skill check, instead of rolling, um, basically he takes the DC that he was going to have and pulls it, um, pulls it down by ten and just compares it to the score that you have, right? Like this normally manifests with knowledge checks, right? Like, um, if you know you have knowledge, uh, knowledge planes, and the DC for knowledge planes is like uh, a twenty-five. Um, instead of rolling for it, um, since you're not actually doing anything, it's just a recall thing. Um, it's a very passive check. He he said says the, the DC is fifteen, and if your score is above fifteen, you just know what it is. Um, and I actually like that system a lot. I, I use it in my in my uh, Wrath of the Righteous game. Um, there's some nuances there, and he's got a whole article on it. Um, in five E, I think he just kind of like if you've got the the knowledge kind of trained, he just usually just gives it to you, um, which I think has some fiddling with it, but. Um, something I was thinking in, in kind of that vein would be that um, a lot of social interactions at, at some level are about um, getting uh, getting knowledge out of a person, right? Getting information um, and get or, or getting something out of the person. And uh, for that kind of thing, like having a, a ladder of favorability for the other person, which is something that kind of exists in the current Pathfinder... Uh, uh, system you know like friendly unfriendly hostile um kind of aligning the person and giving them kind of a a set setting based on um like like some of these person like a personality factor or something um or like and and being able to kind of bump that and you know at, at certain um points in the ladder right like you know like liked very like i, I think you want a little bit more granularity than the system currently has you right, can right. get more out of them, and then if you want to push for a higher kind of level of on the ladder, is when you make a check, and then opening those checks up to things that, um, uh, you know, w would be a little a little more uh, uh, open with kind of again your standards being uh, like you know the generic ones being the social skills, and then um, clever application of other skills being encouraged and kind of, uh, uh, the way you can kind of get around it. I, I think that, that that system needs some tweaking too, because I don't, I, I think that it, it, again, uh, encourages the face problem. Um, but I think that you could do something there where like you, you kind of want the, the, the checks to be kind of the thing of last resort and you, and very limited in what they can do. And the, uh, and kind of the the factors around it to be the thing that you want um, more of, um, if that makes sense. Um, I guess I do see where you're coming from. Um, I the, I've I've always had a problem with the kind of ladders, uh, like the unfriendly friendly ladders um, in games. In a certain sense, this is also kind of another endorsement for like the hyper minimalist take, where it's yeah, kind yeah. of like when you like when you put things in those kinds of perspectives. In a lot of ways, it frames things 
away from being about the content of the conversation and about being like the mechanics of the conversation, which is partly bad. Um, which sucks. Yeah, no, you know I, I, mean? I, I absolutely then, it, feel that. Yeah. Um, but like, I also like, I also understand. I don't know, like, it, like that is a, that is a tough thing because, like, in combat, for instance, that makes sense because you know it's a simulation or whatever else kind of thing. Right. But like, it does feel to a certain extent like with a role played encounter, why can't you just role play out like the encounter? Um, and if that has problems, right? Like that's the, the like those are the problems that we were talking about before. Um, but I kind of wonder to to like to what extent are there mechanics in here that are specifically things that dilute uh that you know like that that dilute that because what i what i always feel like ends up happening with those kinds of um uh, uh you know like ladders um is that it becomes a lot more about getting the person to the right ladder stage right in and a way instead of being a, a role-playing conversation it, it becomes a mechanics challenge which yeah. is kind of what you want to avoid um and yeah and i i definitely feel that um uh, and, I, it's, I, and it's hard and it's hard to do yeah. this stuff too you know what i mean like because part of me wants to say well why don't you just systemize the content right where you kind of say right like okay well it's a puzzle you need to figure out what the other person wants and what they're willing to bargain for or you know what you know what i mean like the information or the whatever sign the agreement or what like whatever the kind of goal is sort of thing and like maybe you design it a little bit like a puzzle where you're trying to like make skill checks to figure out what they're looking for and everything like that but like even that doesn't feel good in my head um, yeah yeah I, I just kind of go back go back to, to to first principles um the like i, I think you just kind of like you need, you need a way for the the you know the when you when you're walking up to this person for the fu the fighter to feel confident that he can walk up and make this that, that he's not screwing the party by going yeah. instead of the face. Um, yeah, I you know I actually think that to a certain extent maybe my ladders can like comment doesn't necessarily the the thing about ladders is that I always flash back to um uh like you know. Like Fallout Four had a system like this. Most of the Fallout's had a system like this. Oblivion um, had a system. You know, like yeah, it. Oblivion had a system like that. Yeah, exactly. Where like, kind of like achieving those thresholds. Maybe those systems are just poorly designed. I don't know. Like, because achieving those thresholds it didn't feel like a social encounter or anything along those kinds of lines. You're just kind of like farming, right? Like when I'm farming, like my character's rep or whatever. Um, in uh in in fallout 4 to get my companion feet or whatever it's not like i, I don't know there's something about yeah. there's something about that that like grinding out you know whatever minutemen outposts for preston garvey it just doesn't feel good it just it just it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel like a like a like a like i'm actually earning his trust you know what i mean it does feel like a grind um, yeah. But I wonder if that's just baggage that I'm carrying from those video games, and like in in the context of an RPG, though maybe the, maybe that system would be a little bit sleeker and therefore not as bad. I don't know. Yeah, I I I, I think I think you're right in some terms. I, I think there's the danger of kind of like turning it into um a, a kind of mechanics fest, and maybe that's kind of why like you want to peel back like 
like like the like you know another argument for the minimalist approach is is when you you peel it back you kind of um you because mm-hmm. sorry kind of like at the end of the day right like you, you also kind of don't want like if if let's say your you know your uh, your holy man cleric thinks he's got a compelling argument that will convince the gruff guard or something um that you don't want him to feel discouraged from like making what he thinks is a persuasive argument because he doesn't have the right personality key for the lock either right like i think that's also a a bad outcome i think it's a less bad outcome than than the face problem but i think that's still a thing that you would you would want to uh, uh, avoid if you could um and I don't know if there's a good way to systemize that outside of outside of the minimalist approach, um, which is you know explicitly not systemizing it. Right. Um, I mean, maybe the way we want to frame it is almost like do the minimalist approach if you can. Right, but otherwise you need to systemize it, and that's just going to like naturally have trade-offs. Yeah, you know what I mean. I kind of feel like that's like at like that's like the end. That's like the end result of this. Um, but the problem is like what you know, like what 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 systems do those look like, right? Like, um, because there are such like in growth, like the, the, this is pro- this is part of what I didn't like about the diplomacy challenges is like because I was kind of constrained by Pathfinder in systemizing it, I felt like it was so hard to you know what I mean? Like because I I had to use Pathfinder skills like bluff, diplomacy, intimidate, and those skills were you know what I mean? Like those skills are are put in relation to other skills that have other uses for other kinds of encounters. You know, and like, and I don't want to, right? Like, I don't want to disenfranchise a character that's been specifically building for this kind of thing. You know what I mean? But yeah. I also like, like, the, there are all of these other kind of problems um, when when you're trying to pull like the system, the the social systems out of a game and slot in new ones because a lot of the connections are going to get severed uh, and you're going to end up with like lopsided design somewhere or another, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I so yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the yeah. So so I I think I think part of this that we can kind of get um that we can target and I think that they can provide some of kind of like the the most good for this is something that can bridge the gap between the face and the rest of the party in, on kind of like a generic occasion, right? And like um. And so, like, I think, like, you know, lacking any other evidence, lacking any other other kind of, like, um, idea that, like, your, your face is kind of okay to be the, 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 the default there, right? Like, but we, like, you know, you, like, you know, if the, the gruff soldier, if you're not aware that the gruff soldier sitting in the tavern is a gruff soldier, right. then sending your face is probably still the right idea. I, I, th- I think that that's the thing. Um, that you naturally want the players to, to do what the players want to naturally do. Um, um, but I think the thing that we can target and potentially solve is is that if you do know that he's a rough soldier, that sending your fighter is a 
better option, um, and the way you do that is you make the soldier, whatever check the soldier has to do, not so, uh, not so kind of screwed up that it will be dominated by the bluff check, or you know, or, or the, the face check essentially. Okay, I've got a thought for I've got a thought for this. It's a little bit like the personalities kind of thing. Okay, go for um, it. What if you expanded the traits system, kind of, um, but specifically by kind of saying that like you get um, like like social, uh, you get you get kind of like a social trait at level like at level one, like a backstory social trait kind of thing that defines a bit about your you know what i mean and whenever that trait is applicable you use your character level rather than your ranks in a skill as uh like as the ranks in that skill sort of thing so for instance you might you might have like this trait and it's like fucking soldier or whatever and so it's like okay well whenever you're talking to other soldiers right if you want to use a bluff if you want to use diplomacy if you want to use intimidate or whatever instead of using your ranks you use your character level maybe even your character level plus three do you know what i mean yeah i'm i i, I like what you're getting at i i think instead of traits um it's almost like tags like you have like tags on like a like like genre tag yeah. like a steam tag, yeah right Th- yeah yeah no 100 percent. i see exactly what you mean and you can get tags as you level up and shit you know what yeah. i mean like if you get in with you know whatever uh yeah you you can i guess you you start with a set number of tags that you kind of like pull out of your backstory and then um and then you can Essentially, the, the tag system has to be kind of open, right? Like, in, in, you know, unlike a lot of things in Pathfinder, this is something that's kind of more from, like, some of the more freeform RPGs, is you kind of write those tags down, and they're not in a set place. But then It's a little bit of... like lore. Yeah. Uh, the, like, the lore. But, yeah. it, but, it's not, yeah, yeah. but it's not a skill itself. Like, right, right, Because right, I right. think that's important. I think yeah. it has to be such a thing that, like, if you can activate one of your tags... Wow, I feel really good about this all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can't activate one of your tags, it has to be something that you could use for any skill check. Because then all of a sudden that opens up your ability to use any of bluff, intimidate, or diplomacy as necessary. Um, rather than having something that says kind of like, you know, uh, that, that, like, that it uses like an actual skill check. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. The, the, the tag should be outside of, outside of skills for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and maybe you get, like, two tags or something. And so you could do, like, soldier and, like, orphan, right? Or you could even do something... Actually, okay, so this is cool. Maybe you could integrate it a little bit with, like, alignments. You know what I mean? Where it's, like, you're lawful neutral, and if the person you're talking to is also lawful neutral, that activates. You know what I mean? Rather than... Well, I don't know. That's a little broad. I'm saying yeah. rather than tags, but um, I do kind of like that idea a little bit. Where like if you know you you like you di- you're incentivizing the party to diversify alignments one, um, alignments being their own kind of other can of can of worms sort of thing, um, and then kind of you're looking to you're looking to match up and just kind of say well is this person chaotic good like do we think he's chaotic good do we think he's neutral good kind of thing, right like and then and then get into that conversation that's tough though man alignments are too, there's too yeah much uh, yeah I think alignments aren't I th- I think kind of like using alignments to kind of inform a tag that you'd want to pick up. Um, and I, I, th- I think necessary part of the system is that the player needs to 
pitch to the GM that their tag is applicable. Yeah. Um, and I think the only piece kind of missing here is um, essentially you want this to be better than a, a character with, with equivalent bluff, uh, you know, bluff, intimidate, diplomacy, check. Um, like, I think... I think for 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 certain, right? Like, does does that make sense to you? Because um, otherwise, you yeah. still want to send the face. Um, man, I really, really, really. Yeah. Man, I want to try this out now. <laughs> okay. Um, but I I, I I love that. I think that's a great idea. Um, I think that's actually kind of about where I wanted to get with this, right? We've got a solid idea. We've got some principles, and then maybe we can over the next couple of weeks, figure out what this actually looks like and then do it, do it full in a later episode. It's like what we've come up with as, as, as a yeah, like a little here. bit of like a, like a postmortem. Definitely. Yeah. Um, um as like, it's like a, a, a full systemized solution that you can throw into your game. Um, Okay, but if any of you are in or running a and d game, uh, just, to, just like, like, here's like the quick byline for summary for this is, um, Everybody at, uh, you know, at character creation gets two tags, right? Tags being just something about their backstory, be it a profession, like soldier or city location, right? Like Magnamar or, uh, you know, like up, you know, like noble, right? Poor, upper class, you know, any of these kinds of things um, you want to, um, and then, uh, 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 as the game goes on, if any characters earn an applicable tag by doing, you know, like by performing something, um, then maybe, you know, like then maybe you let them, you know, if they rescue a whole bunch of orphans from the orphanage, then they can all pick up or one of the characters picks up like the orphan tag sort of thing. Right. Um, that's that's the system. That's the system that we're pitching. We would love to hear any feedback from any of you yeah. guys about how it plays out. Yeah, that, that's that's just is the kind of like genericize it a bit more. Like I'm gonna say instead of necessarily two, it's like some number, and then I think we, we try and like like do some math and muddle out those details. Um, and yeah, absolutely, folks at home. If you've got if like you know, I know that we always say like send in your your comments, but like if if you've got thoughts on this, this is something that we'd really appreciate um, some feedback on. If you think that if, if if you see any flaws that we've missed or anything, or yeah. any ways that you could to to, to kind of systemize it better um uh send us send us an email at some at podcast at some derps play games.com um or you know on twitter or something and, and we'll we'll try and take your advice and we'll see if we can't bang this out into something uh something a little bit more concrete um yeah um, yeah that went that went well awesome yeah well, uh fuck i guess uh, i guess it's week's time how's, yeah. how's your week I have so many things to complain about this week. Okay, well, um, what have I done this week? Uh, we did, we, since the last Jedi, I've played a bunch of PUBG, which just today came oh, out. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, access. we should play that after this. I yeah, shouldn't say absolutely. that on the cast, but whatever. <laughs> I, I do want to play it now that it is, like, absolutely, truly, formally released, um, yeah. I guess they squeaked by the the 2017. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they fulfilled their promise. I don't know if they necessarily should have. Uh, the, the, the game's still not uh, great. In fact, I can segue this into kind of like uh, a minor news story. Um, today, 
Polygon came out with their review for PUBG and gave it a 10 out of 10. Everybody, and you know, the collective response from the internet, at least that I saw, was kind of like, really? The game's kind of broken, right? Like, and you know, there, there's a kind of like discussion you can get into there about like, uh, you know, how you should score things um, that I don't want to kind of like, you know, beat to death. But uh, uh, in kind of a word, at least to me, uh, I don't think you can give a 10 to a game that has kind of like the, 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 the mechanical, when I say mechanical flaws, I want to say, uh, what, what's a good word for this? The, the kind of software flaws that PUBG has, right? Um, and then that's just kind of like my, my one word sentence. Do you have any thoughts on that? Wow. I can't, I am surprised. Uh, I, I, uh, mm. I mean, I disagree with review scores because I hate the idea of 10 out of 10. I don't know if I've ever actually explained this in the cast. I know I've explained this to you in real life, but, like, I think that, quote-unquote, out of 10 is not a fair thing for every, you know... I, typically, I turn this in movies, but it, it's absolutely applicable to games, too, right? Like, you know, PUBG might be 10 out of 10, but, you know, I don't know... <sighs> What's another big... Total War Warhammer might be, you know, 11 out of 13, right? Or yeah. like, I don't know, what's some shitty mobile game? That could be like a 3 out of 4. You know what I mean? Because I think that there's a, there's a difference in scope on on these kinds of things. And when you grade everything by that this kind of rubric, by like this percentage of like, you know, I think that's that's that, that skews it a little bit, right? Um, and that there is a certain amount of like, you know... Maybe you maybe you say PUBG gets a twelve out of fifteen, right? Better than a ten, better than a ten out of ten. It's twelve, not ten, right? But by percentage wise, one of those is a hundred percent, right? And the other one is eighty percent. You know what I mean? So that's kind of always been my philosophy about this kind of thing. Coincidentally, this is also why I think Star Wars: The Last Jedi is uh, like better than The Empire Strikes Back. Like, yeah, it's more flawed than The Empire Strikes Back is, but it also, you know what I mean, like. It's also batting batting higher, right? Like, this isn't a base hit. This is a home run level thing, even if it, you know... Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to continue with that baseball metaphor. The point is, is that, like, I think that we don't give... I don't think that we give stuff... We don't give stuff enough credit for kind of reaching for the stars um, in the same way that we detract from these things for having flaws. Yeah, and it, this is also your, kind of your, your Batman versus Superman argument. Right, this which... is also my Bas Batman versus Superman take. Yeah, um, and I, I think that um, maybe at some point we should do, maybe not a full cast, but a larger kind of discussion. Because I, I, I think the, the only problem I have with your approach is it, it kind of, I think there's something you need to take into account for kind of the standing on shoulders of giants type Definitely, aspect. yeah, yeah, that's um, uh, something that... Right, like, yeah. it, it just kind of a word to about your Star Wars example, right, like... I agree that The Last Jedi is swinging higher than Empire did, but I'm not convinced that um, The Last Jedi, in comparison to, like, in comparison to, I guess, The Force Awakens, or, you know, like, the Star Wars franchise as a whole, the differential between that and its its predecessor is as big as um, Empire is with its predecessor, or kind of, I guess, more coherently, right, like, uh, a New Hope is kind of, like, st standard, but at its time, it's, like, it's it's standing on nothing and was fighting against all Yeah, no, so I mean, I, 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 yeah, 
I, I, I very explicitly do this. Like, I want to be clear, I guess. Um, like, I know that our friend friend uh, uh, friend of the cast, Charles, listened to our original trilogy cast, and he got really frustrated with my with my with talking about like episode four. I kind of feel my like my philosophy is essentially you have to either uh, filter out that like that iconic nature of things, which is which I do, right? Like that's my personal right. Like I think at the end of the day, when we're talking about quality of things, you have to filter that out in order to in order to kind of like do so. But I think that if you do account for it, right, and if you do kind of say like, okay, well, right, like. You know, it doesn't matter that Kung Fu Panda is a more technically proficient version of, you know, A New Hope because, right, like, Kung Fu Panda learned so much from A New Hope that by default A New Hope must be better sort of thing. And I disagree and I don't like the way that kind of fetishizes our past and kind of makes it almost like there can be no better movies than movies that have come before because, you know what I mean? In a way, it's kind of like saying, like, the iPhone 10 will always be a worse product than iPhone 1, than the first iPhone or whatever, because the first iPhone is the one that blazed new ground. It's like, yeah, well, you know, it, I, like, like, we have to have, so we have to kind of account for iteration somewhere. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. I just, I just think that, like, to use, to use your, like, kind of numbers analogy, I think that maybe, like, A New Hope was swinging for 12. And the last Jedi was like swinging for let's say fifteen, and we can argue about like the the numbers, mm-hmm. but the last Jedi was starting from like a ten. Um, sure. And, yeah. And, okay. And, and I, I get you. And I th- I think that's a piece of nuance. Like I understand your point where you don't want to just kind of like forever venerate the classics, but yeah. I think I think you might go a step too far in discounting them. Uh, uh, past that but we, we yeah and to... i also don't want to like i also don't want to say that like we shouldn't honor our history or whatever or like all remember that like the godfather is a fucking masterpiece or anything like that right like i think that there is something to be said for you know having classics right and and a movie like blade runner for instance right blade runner is a classic it's not perfect yeah. right and it's not and you know and it has all and it has all of these problems that we talked about kind of yeah. thing but god damn it if it doesn't break through that ceiling anyway uh, and kind of uh, and like earn its spot as a as as a classic, right? In a way, it's kind of like, you know, um, I think that uh, that it that 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 classicness is something that is separate from quality in that same sense. And like the and I'm trying to say that like they're both they're both equally yeah. deserving of kind of reverence in their own ways, right? But uh, but yeah, I I understand what you mean. I also feel. Because this philosophy, in terms of like critical theory, I guess, is not the norm. That I have to be a little bit aggressive with it. Yeah, that, 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 <laughs> so. that, that's fair. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think um, you said you wanted to complain about stuff. I want, dude. I want to complain about so many things. But the first thing I wanted to ask you about, which is kind of somebody else complaining about something. Um, we've talked a lot about loot boxes over the past couple of you know weeks and months or whatever. Um, and something that we have always kind of said is like cosmetic loot boxes are okay, right? Because they're not you know they're not pay to win, um, the, which is kind of like the distinction that we've drawn. Um, but Jim Sterling put out his Jim Sterling has always thought that loot boxes are bad, even all the way back to the original Overwatch. He thought that they were bullshit, um, and has kind of rejustified that uh, belief in the. Um, uh, in like the wake of Shadow of Mordor, I'm sorry, Sh- Mordor Shadow of War, um, in the wake of PUBG, right? Like has has loot boxes um, uh, and stuff like that, and has kind of said that the argument I was making at the time was that it's a slippery slope, 
right? It's a slippery slope from cosmetic to affecting gameplay, which we have seen definitively de definitively in Star Wars. Uh, we have seen definitively in um, Shadow of War. Uh, Shadow of War, right? That like we that slippery slope yeah. has been fall. You know, we are we are tumbling off of it. Um, and he also made a point, uh, which it, it was a more minor point than than. Uh, well, he, he made two other points. Then he spent a ton of time essentially saying that, like, anybody who says that it doesn't matter because it's just cosmetic is devaluing the value that cosmetic stuff has in games like this, right? Like, there is value to appearing in Overwatch with the skin that you want to appear in Overwatch with, right? There is value to the work that those artists put yeah. into it, right? Like, and, um, you know, into, like, the production, right? And the aesthetics of all that. That is all part of the game, right? And it is still doing that shitty thing of kind of, like, um, chopping up parts of the game and then not even selling them to you, but making you, you know, pull a fucking, right, slot machine for them, or yep. whatever. And then the third argument that he made um, was essentially that in <clears throat> there is no way that a loot box system can be superior to a pay to play, you know, like a, a like a buy what you want system, yep. right? So comparing Overwatch and League of Legends, right? League of Legends will always be superior no matter what, um, because the skins you get in League, you can just pay five bucks and pick up a skin. Right, the skins you get in Overwatch, you can't do that. Uh, what, 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 what do you think about these arguments? How, how, what's your, what's your take? Okay, so, um, I just kind of at the top, I, I, I think I definitely agree with the, uh, the, the buy, the buy to purchase exactly what you want is definitely better. I definitely think that loot boxes are kind of scummy. I think they're definitely gambling. Um, that being said, I think if alongside your um, kind of pay, you know, buy the skin you want system, you have a loot box option. I think that that's fine. Um, because, you know, there is a, there is a joy from, you know, there's a joy from gambling, right? Like there, there is, there, there is, uh, that's just a thing. That's, that's why like Vegas exists. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's right to tell someone that they're, that they're having fun wrong because they enjoy pulling their loot box handle and they get something that, you know, and they get that rush. Um, uh, if, you know, if you want to spend your money like that, I think that's your business. Um, but I think having that the exclusive way to do things, I, I, I agree, is a, is a problem because, because essentially you kind of, that, that gets predatory. Um, and so, and so you know, again, just to, to resummarize, buying is good, but loot box option, loot box option alongside that is okay. Okay. Um, uh, he also like part of what he makes the point about is is, is uh, a point about self-expression in games, um, and I think he's a little bit off the mark in that I don't think that that's universally approachable. And and um, to his point, okay, just just to kind of run for half a second, um, his point about art, you know, art being valuable and cosmetics being value valuable, I think is true. I don't think that that means that game companies can't decide to sell some of that as a separate as a separate additional feature um i think that's a game company's prerogative and um i think that uh I, and i i think that's saying that like uh, it's kind of a muddled point um but I, I i think there's some nuance there and the real point i want to get to is this expression thing which is you know 
in an online game, your outfit is kind of expresses who you are as a player that differentiates you from other people. And I think that there are ways to approach that, and it's not equal for all games. I don't think skins in Overwatch and skins of League of Legends approach a level of expressiveness as, say, how you look in, say, World of Warcraft or another MMO. Um, I do think that this is a big problem in Destiny, um, to give a good example of, of somebody who fucks this up. Okay. Um, cause, because in uh, World of Warcraft and Guild Wars and the like, there are things that you can only get by doing content. Right? Like, you can only get the raid mog by doing the raids. Right? Um, yep. and, and there's a level of prestige from that that, yep. you, that that you can show off and be like, see, I did this. Um, uh, I, I don't know if they have this in WoW yet, but in, in Guild Wars and in some other games that I've played, um, in addition to those activities-based rewards, there are ones that you can only buy from the cash shop if you want. Um... Uh, not a, it's not out of loot boxes for Guild Wars, um, and so you know it's another buy to play aspect. But I think having the only that... example that I can think of in WoW is mounts and pets. Okay, I don't uh, know that they've done anything wearable. Maybe they have. I bet there's something wearable at this point. You know, like, but I, the, it's the, the the I spent a lot of time worrying about transmog and thinking about transmog, right? Like. I'm a guy with a bunch of RP characters, and I like having their armor all set up, so, you know what I mean, to kind of, like, reflect that and everything like that, uh, and I can't think of any time that, like, any, the, any of that, like, cash shop stuff has interacted with. I, ooh, actually, now that I do think about it, there are a couple of rewards that you can only get um, from the now-defunct WoW card game. Oh, okay. Um, the, the WoW trading card game. Um, some mounts come from there. Uh, there's a tabard. Uh, that comes from there. Um, so that's unfortunate. Yeah, but it's kind of to, to finish out the point. Um, uh, having some some options that are only in kind of the cash shop, I think is okay. Um, I think you can get into a weird place where like you know the best looking stuff is in the cash shop, and I think that's not great. Um, but like when it's kind of the domain of like things that are a little bit outside of the norm, right? Like, what I see here is either some, like, fun stuff, like beach outfits or whatever, or, like, things like fancy dress outfits um, being a thing that you get through, uh, um, a thing you get to the cash shop. I don't think that there's a huge problem with that. But I think you, in order for that to work, you need to have a strong set of things that you get through game activities, um, that are that, that you can that kind of show off for your pride there and only get that way. And I think that's one of the big problems with Destiny is that there's not a lot to kind of like earn out of the endgame content that is exclusive to that um, in terms of in terms of wearables. And I think that that's kind of the big problem that Destiny's facing right now is that there's not a lot of reason to kind of grind the endgame content to get those kind of rewards on on a in in terms of jim's argument that like um cosmetics matter i think that that's a good example of a place where cosmetics matter and they're not being treated right by by bungie um yeah uh did okay what, what well, did you have, do you have any deeper uh, opinions on that uh i very much agree with his take which is that loot boxes are always and will always be inferior to just buy it you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, there, I, there's just no way around that to me in my in my head for the what. There's one thing that I think um, there's like 
there's something to be said for kind of like random rewards over uh kind of uh like expected rewards i guess you know what i mean like there is something cool about just opening up a whole bunch of card packs in hearthstone on like the first day of an expansion right right but i can't help but like at the same time you know what i mean like it's just like the slippery slope is too slippery i think for for that even even that like kind of counterpoint to 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 make any headway um uh yeah because no. yeah the boxes yeah. yeah i i get that and i i think you can make an argument for some advantages to loot boxes but i don't think they outweigh the negatives like i think you could you could rightly say that like a loot box might do something like you loot box a skin and you get a skin for a hero that you don't normally play in lol and i encourage you to play that new hero and that's a good thing i think that's valid but i don't think that outweighs the uh the kind of the the bad points okay okay uh so i want to complain about something else which is uh so do you know wisecrack I'm not familiar now. Wisecrack, they are, they're like, uh, you know, like, they're just like one of these YouTube kind of, um, uh, like, like political culture, or I'm sorry, popular culture, uh, like commentary channels. Um, and they've expanded a lot over the years, right? Like at first it was like, if you've ever seen like Thug Notes, which is like, um, like a stereotypical, like thug guy explaining like the themes and nuances in like literature, you know what I mean? So he's, like, talking about, like, Emily Bronte and shit. Uh, so they do that. They do Earthling Cinema, which is kind of like a, you know, a five-minute, like, movie review. But, like, from the kind of in-universe perspective of an alien talking about, like, ancient Earth artifacts. Um, and so, you know, like, it's cute and it's funny or, or, or whatever. But, you know, uh, so they, but they, but they, they, they release videos. They released a couple of videos that I took a little tiny issue with. One of them a much bigger issue with. But the first one I will start is The Last Jedi, and I'm just going to warn right here, I'm going to talk a little bit about spoilers for The Last Jedi, not super major spoilers, but if you haven't seen it, this kind of ruins, like, a part into a character arc. Um, this is something I've also seen in other spots, but they gave me the example, so I'm just going to go with it. They said in their, um, they're, they're talking about, like, the themes of The Last Jedi, and part of one of those themes is, right, like, throwing away, you know what I mean, that, like, that, that, that your expectations aren't what are important and your expectations for how things are going to go, right? Like, it's not going to go the way you think, right? Like, that's part of it, right? And one of the examples that they use is that there's this big dark hole on the island, but when Rey goes in the hole, she just, she doesn't find anything. She just finds a mirror. And I think that is a tragic, tragic misunderstanding of Rey's whole arc. I will also say that a friend of mine asked the question, um, she, she asked, uh, like, People, people say that, like, that moment at the end of the, the throne room fight with Kylo Ren, where Kylo Ren gives her the, you know, rule of galaxy thing, right? She's like, I never believed Rey would, you know, I never believed Rey would do that. It, would, it doesn't make any sense. The movie didn't set that up. And my answer was, the movie is, the movie is doing its homework, right, by showing you that Rey is a character who would not accept that, right? Rey is a good person. She's not going to shit on, you know, she's not going to destroy the resistance uh, and abandon her friends, right? Um, so she, th so like, yes, the movie is consistent that she would not take that choice. However, the movie did quite clearly show you the path on which she could fall to the dark side, right? So I just want to run that through for everyone so that you can, I don't know, you can link to the minute and... 20 ep you know what i mean like 
This is the explanation for how Rey goes to the dark side and what the movie has to say about her path to the dark side, okay? So Rey's big, big thing is her abandonment issues with her parents, right? She doesn't know who her parents are um, and she wants to so bad. She feels like she was abandoned on Jakku by her parents because she was, right? When, when Rey is like meditating for the first time and she sees that dark hole and she goes right into it, Luke identifies that place as being the dark side, right? And she goes, you didn't even hesitate. You went right into it, right? Then later, Rey does go to that dark hole and what does she find? She finds this crazy weird mirror thing and then she touches it, right? This is kind of an extended visual metaphor from like here on out, but it's like one of the awesome parts of the movie that I can't, that I, I, I just, I love this part. Anyway, so then she gets into this like train of rays that are like time dilated by like a second. The rays behind her are a couple seconds behind and the rays in front of her are a couple of, a couple of seconds ahead, right? And we're watching and the camera's focused on the ray that we know, like the middle, the, the middle ray, right? In this, like this line of seemingly infinite rays that are not actually infinite. You know, she does the snapping thing where she like snaps and the ray behind her snaps and then she snaps and the ray in front of her snaps and it like creates that, you know what I mean, that like that rhythmic thing down the line. This is a visual metaphor for fate and for destiny in the Star Wars universe, right? Fate and destiny get to tooled around a lot, right? It is your destiny, right? And everything. But we all know that that's not true because there are plenty of times when people talk about destinies and then those destinies are then subverted, right? So we don't live in a deterministic Star Wars universe, right? So the, we're, it's kind of a duality between determinism where everything is, you know, is predetermined by fate and there being choices. And I think the Star, what Star Wars comes down to is there are choices, but they are big momentous incredibly important choices and that's what this whole thing is a visual metaphor for so right so ray in the line right she is as insofar as she is on the line she is a slave to fate and to destiny when the the ray behind her snaps she then snaps and the ray in front of her then snaps right but that line is not infinite. The movie literally says that line is not infinite and that it ends. And then we follow all the way to the end. And where does it end? It ends at the mirror, right? Ray touches the mirror and she asks the question, who are my parents? And then the mirror shows her and it's like a, you know, it's like a thing. And then the mirror comes up and it's, and it's, and it's her, right? Um, because that's not, that, that's not the, that's not the important question in a way, in, in so far, in so far as the important question is, what does Ray do about the knowledge of who her parents are? Right. So that's why she is in the mirror, like the, the the mirror reflects her rather than you know fucking doing I don't know this like Harry Potter show show the mirror thing. Anyway, then we then later Kylo Ren tells her her parents were just shitty people that abandoned her for drinking water and they're dead in a ditch on Jakku somewhere. And then he says that she's always known that to be true, right? Even though he doesn't say the amazing line and I can't believe they didn't have this moment of excellence fan service where she's where he says search your feelings you know it to be true. Yeah, I really yeah, wish yeah. they had said that. <laughs> and she cries because she has to finally, you know, she has to finally reconcile what she wants to do about her parents um in front of him because he has made this dark thing that she has shoved down right the secret he has made it real by saying it out loud right this is her moment of crisis this is the choice that the mirror is showing her right if she goes to the dark side 
she accepts her uh, her parents' abandonment issues in the same way that Kylo Ren has accepted his like his betrayal issues that we talked about on the cast, right? That come all the way back from Luke Skywalker, right? When Luke turned on the the lightsaber and and Kylo Ren right felt betrayed by his master and he is held on he is held on to this feeling of betrayal right for the rest of his life it's there in the force awakens with finn right um it's there uh um uh well whatever the case may be it's 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 there later right if she chooses to accept her her abandonment issues from like with her parents in the same way that he's accepted his issues about loyalty and betrayal right what she does is she joins Kylo Ren, she resolves that in the same way her parents abandoned her, right, and the way, by the way, that Luke Skywalker has also abandoned her and abandoned the cause of the rebellion, right, that the resistance, that Finn will abandon her, right, that Leia and Chewie, all of these people will abandon her in the same way that her parents do. She, she, like, she teams up with Kylo Ren, maybe they fuck, who knows, I wish, right? And they go and they rule the galaxy. That is the dark side path that the movie lays out for Ray. And I think it's all and I think it's all there. And people who say it's not there, right? They're misunderstanding. And people who say that fucking that hole in the ground was a cop out, it was not a cop out. It's very thematically relevant and it's a huge part of like her fucking character arc. By the way, Ray's refusal to Kylo Ren only serves to further reinforce his treachery issues because he now feels personally betrayed by Ray, this person he has created, you know, like this person who he has like formed a connection with betrays him at the moment that they can like finally like realize a beautiful new galaxy under their, under their control. This movie is good people. It's really good. And I wanted to sit here and methodically explain why that's the case. Yeah. Well, that felt so good. <laughs> That that sounds good to me. Um, the other thing I actually so this is another thing that I was um, uh, at the end. Why do you think Luke Skywalker dies? Uh, like in universe reasons. Yeah, like yeah, like in, like in universe. Like what what kills Luke at the end of uh, at the end of the Last Jedi? So what I want to be true is the theory that you know he is essentially achieved enlightenment and he disappears to the force because he's actually enlightened um but what i suspect will be true is that he's exerted himself so much by projecting across the galaxy um that it, it just kills him wait 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 wait. that seems weird to me about enlightenment uh so it, it's it's a fan theory that i saw that just really like like essentially that like becoming a force ghost is kind of like achieving a level of enlightenment you know for for our fans of of uh, the rule the 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 oh I can't remember it um, the uh, the the Elder Scrolls the the lessons of uh, of Vivek. oh oh uh, the Vivek yeah, yeah, yeah. thirty six yeah. yeah the lessons of Vivek you know it it, it essentially achieves Chim um, and uh, he chims himself out of the galaxy um, it's essentially like uh, the 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 theory I saw essentially that like most masters only do this on death, right? Like, they kind of, like, in the moment of their death, they kind of see the world as it is, and they become totally enlightened, and that allows them to disappear into the Force. Okay. Um, um, and that Luke has managed to do this before his natural death, um, that, and that, like, kind of, like, him coming to peace with himself has kind of granted him this enlightenment, 
Um, and just through the force that way. But like I said, what I expect the Incanon answer to be is, is he has exerted himself so hard that, uh, that he has died. Oh, man. See, this is my... Okay. So my fan theory is that um, even though he was projecting it, it's a little bit like the Matrix a little bit thing. Like, even though he was projecting himself across, like, the like the galaxy, um, when Kylo Ren strikes him with the lightsaber, it's still, you know what I mean? Like, it's still it's, it's like him. It's like when Rey and, and, and Kylo Ren touch across the galaxy. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, because, and, and that's the thing, is that that's the key to it to me, is, like, the the... The part where it's raining for Ray, but it's not for Kylo Ren. He's like hanging out in his like, you know, bedroom or whatever. But he his it, hand it, it is wet. wet. Yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of thing, um, where uh, where you know, uh, the it's not that it's not like the strain of pro, pro, like projecting across like across the universe, right? But like of also being you know bisected and stabbed by Kylo Ren. Um, and also, you know, like shot by like a million fucking like AT whatever T's those those things those things are called. Uh, AT M6s, I believe. Are they AT M6s? That yeah. sounds awful. What an awful name for an awesome looking fucking thing. Um, I'm actually really sad that Kylo Ren didn't straight up kill him. I was hoping that that would be the case. So, with you. so I so um. In terms of like that that theory, I, I think I think it's also a decent theory. Um, I think that the shots wouldn't do anything. I think that his personal connection with with with, uh, with Kylo could lead to that kind of like cross ga- galaxy um, cut. But I think I think that kind of undercuts what Luke was doing, which is robbing Kylo Ren of his victory. Which is I think the kind of the point, right? Like. Um, in, in, in a weird way, I was surprised that they that, that Luke dies because, um, you know, Luke says "see you around, kid," in a way that implies that like you know he's bested Kylo Ren, right? Like he's he he's he's robbed from Kylo Ren everything he wants, and that that's important. And I think that having Kylo Ren's lightsaber actually cut him would be to undercut that kind of point well he says it you know he says the thing like if you strike me down in anger yeah. i'm gonna be with you forever like your father kind of thing right Right, but i, I think the reversal there is supposed to be that like if that he he, he can't right like, like you know that, that like um that, that luke takes that from him um yeah i don't like that i i think i see in a way i think that there's a way to do this where it's like kylo ren thinks he has a victory but like in the end he really doesn't sort of thing because i actually i think what i would love the most is if kylo ren had a moment where he was kind of like you know where he could kind of say you know there is no snoke i'm beholden to no one I am the most powerful force user in the galaxy, right? And he just, you know, he, like, does something with the force to Luke's projection and, you know, quote-unquote kills it and also kills Luke, but in the same way that we get, you know, where he, like, fades out or whatever, like, Luke still reaches his kind of enlightenment. Um, And even though Kylo Ren has, like, killed Luke, he's also made Luke a martyr, right? Which is kind of what we see in the end with, like, the kids in in the stables, um, you know, where they're talking about the, like, the story of, like, Luke going out to, like, face Kylo Ren. Right. Um, and it's also, you know, like, Luke also bought enough time. Like, because Kylo Ren had to come down there and defeat Luke personally. You know what I mean? Like, he couldn't, yeah. 
he couldn't ignore this. Um, he, it bought the resistance enough time to kind of escape. So it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of like a Pyrrhic victory, right? Like, but I think it's a Pyrrhic victory that also establishes Kylo Ren, just kind of like puts the period at the end of the sentence of like, yep, Kylo Ren is a mega fucking badass now, right? And like, yeah, he, you know, like, he lost in the sense that the resistance lived on, in the sense that, uh, you know, he turned Luke into a martyr and the Jedi, you know, like, and this, and this, uh, this rumor and this legend of Luke Skywalker is now going to ripple throughout the galaxy or whatever. But like, that doesn't mean that he's not like formidable, you know, in a, in a little bit of, in a little bit, this kind of felt too, um, cause I think those two things are true naturally. Right. Um, in, in the way that, in the way this goes out, but like the, Kylo Ren was like a little too defeated in a way. I think he should have been, um, a little bit scarier moving into the, like, into episode nine. Yeah. But that's just me. In a way, in a way, that's kind of the same thing that we're looking for, you know, in the, um, in, like, the, the Vader-Obi-Wan fight in episode four. You know, like, like, that's a thing that establishes Vader as a badass, right? Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I don't know if I agree with it, but I, I get your point. Um, but yeah, um, I think that's all we have time for, though. Uh, that is true. I have so many more other things. Wisecrack released a video called uh, What Went Wrong with Man of Steel, and they're real wrong about it, dude. Uh, well, I don't have... real wrong about what went wrong with Man of Steel, Mango. Well, I don't have three hours to sit and listen to that. <laughs> Okay, that's fine. Yeah, um, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to bring this up next week. I'm sure you will. Because I will not let this go. I, I, <laughs> I know you won't. <laughs> but if you would like to email email us what you think about uh, anything we've talked about today, um, including Man of Steel, you can email us at podcast at subdervisplaygames or subdervisplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subdervisplaygames. You can follow us on Twitter, iTunes, wherever nice podcasts are. Leave us ratings, send us comments. We love it all. Um, I think that's about it, buddy. Did you have anything else that you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I am looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listener.